You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Pharmaceuticals on Trial Prince Charles and the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change are great examples of green responsiveness. But what about social issues? There are many inspiring cases. For example, Specialistern is the world's first IT company with an affirmative business model built around the skills of people with Autistic Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. And in the biotech industry, often criticized for its ethics, Merck announced plans in 1994 to collaborate with Washington University to create a database of the human gene sequence and to put this data into the public domain to stimulate biogenetic medical advances. Sadly, not all stories are so positive and inspiring. Let's take a look at one of the biggest crises the world still faces, HIV and AIDS. According to the 2009 UN AIDS report, more than 25 million people have died of AIDS since 1981. The number of people living with HIV has risen from around 8 million in 1990 to 33 million today and is still growing. Around 67% of people living with HIV are in sub-Saharan Africa and Africa has over 14 million AIDS orphans. At the end of 2008, women accounted for 50% of all adults living with HIV worldwide. In developing and transitional countries... 9.5 million people are in immediate need of life-saving AIDS drugs. Of these, only 4 million, or 42%, are receiving the drugs. The topic of drugs presents a good case study in responsiveness and the lack thereof. In 2001, Oxfam launched a campaign called Cut the Cost, challenging the pharmaceutical industry to address responsible drug pricing. In the same year, the Indian pharmaceutical company Kipler cut the annual price of the antiretroviral AIDS drugs to $350, as compared with the global industry standard of $1,000 and the Western market price of more than $10,000. Kipler also announced its intention to allow the South African government to sell eight of its generic AIDS drugs, the patents for which were held by other companies. Medicines Sans Frontiers, or MSF, put pressure on the five major pharmaceutical companies involved in the UN AIDS Accelerating Access Initiative to match Kipler's benchmark. And to some extent, they responded. Merck cut the price of its HIV AIDS treatments for developing countries, including offering Crixivan at $600 and Stockrin at $500. Pfizer offered to supply antifungal medicine at no charge to HIV-AIDS patients in 50 AIDS-stricken countries. Bristol-Myers Squibb announced that it would not prevent generic drug makers from selling low-cost versions of one of its HIV drugs, Zerit, in Africa. And GlaxoSmithKline granted a voluntary license to South African generics producer Aspen allowing them to share the rights to GSK's drugs without charge. So far, so good. Apparently, the drugs companies are quite responsive. 
Why then, in 2001, at the same time that they were doing all of these good things, did 39 of the largest international pharmaceutical companies take the South African government to court? This was over plans to introduce legislation aimed at easing access to AIDS drugs, arguing that it would infringe their patents and contravene the TRIPS agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights. Justin Forsyth, Oxfam Policy Director, said at the time, This court case demonstrates how powerful drugs companies are bullying poor countries just so that they can protect their patent rights on life-saving medicines. The pharmaceutical companies quickly realized that they had created a monster. Tens of thousands of people marched in protest all over the world, and 300,000 people from over 130 countries signed a petition against the action. Eventually, following public pressure as well as pressure from the South African government and the European Parliament, Big Pharma dropped the case. Fanning the flames of public discontent, John Lacar's 2001 book, The Constant Gardener, and the 2005 film adaptation depicted drugs companies as corrupt profiteers. And so began the industry's public relations damage control campaign. This is not about profits and patents, said John McGoldrick, Executive Vice President at Bristol-Myers Squibb. We seek no profits on AIDS drugs in Africa, and we will not let profits be an obstacle. GlaxoSmithKline's Patent Pool It is nearly 10 years later, and the pharmaceutical companies are still trying to rebuild their reputations. As an article in the Mail and Guardian reported for Inside Story in 2010, the past decade has been a public relations nightmare for big pharmaceutical companies, and deservedly so, say their critics. Activists and non-governmental organizations the world over have slated Big Pharma for putting profits ahead of people and vigorously enforcing their intellectual property rights preventing many people from gaining access to life-saving medication. It's an ugly story told repeatedly in the media, over dinner, at AIDS conferences and during university seminars, and it has earned the pharmaceutical industry an unmatched notoriety. But have they learned their lesson? The latest and possibly most responsive action has been from GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK. Early in 2009, CEO Andrew Whitty announced a major reform in their corporate policy on drug affordability and accessibility. In particular, he said GSK will cut its prices for all drugs to the 50 least developed countries to no more than 25% of the levels in the UK and the US, and less if possible, as well as making drugs more affordable in middle-income countries such as Brazil and India. In addition, GSK will reinvest 20% of any profits it makes in the least developed countries, in hospitals, clinics and staff, and invite scientists from other companies, NGOs or governments to join the hunt for tropical disease treatments at its dedicated institute in Spain. Many NGOs remain sceptical. Michelle Childs, Director of Policy and Advocacy at Medicines Sans Frontières, says that in China, GSK charges $3,000 for their antiretrovirals in the absence of generic competition, 
while in Thailand, by comparison, another pharmaceutical company, Abbott, offers something similar for $500. And as for reinvesting profits, Catherine Tomlinson of the Treatment Action Campaign says, wouldn't it simply be better to slash profits and allow for countries themselves to invest in improving health infrastructure? The GSK argument is circular. We charge so much money so that we can give you some of your own money back. The most interesting and radical move, however, is that Witte committed GSK to put any chemicals or processes over which it has intellectual property rights that are relevant to finding drugs for neglected diseases into a patent pool so they can be explored by other researchers. Explaining this move, Witte said, I think it's the first time anybody's really come out and said, we're prepared to start talking to people about pooling our patents to try to facilitate innovation in areas where, so far, there hasn't been much progress. He went on to say, some people might be surprised it's coming from a pharma company. Obviously, people see us as very defensive of intellectual property, quite rightly, and we will be, but in this area of neglected diseases, we just think this is a place where we can carve out a space and see whether or not we can stimulate a different behaviour. On this score, some critics have been cautiously supportive. He is breaking the mould, invalidating the concept of patent pools, said the head of Oxfam's medicines campaign. That has been out there as an idea and no company has done anything about it. Hence, it's a big step forward. It is welcome that he is inviting other companies to take this on and have a race to the top instead of a race to the bottom. Mining for a cure. It is not just the pharmaceutical companies that are part of the responsiveness story on HIV and AIDS. In South Africa, someone dies of AIDS every two minutes, and almost one in three women aged 25 to 29, and more than a quarter of men aged 30 to 34, are living with the HIV virus. Also, on average, 17% of employees are affected with the virus in the country. In the face of such a crisis, one positive example of responsiveness is the multinational mining company Anglo-American, which has been at the forefront of the war against the disease for nearly three decades. Their group medical consultant, Dr. Brian Brink, was there at the beginning. In fact, in 1980, he was set the task of discovering the first black South African that had contracted the disease, and he is still battling the scourge. Their great leap of responsiveness came back in 2002 when Anglo-American decided to go beyond simple AIDS awareness programs and to offer their employees free access to the life-saving antiretroviral treatments, or ARTs, that had become available. In a 2010 interview with the UK's Telegraph, Brink records, We decided to make the treatment available to all our staff, despite the fact that we didn't know what this would cost. Doing this was transformational and it solved a significant problem for the company, the fact that a lot of our staff were dying. Today, Anglo-American has a much better handle on both the infection rates and the costs. The company estimates that approximately 12,000 of its 71,000 workforce 
are currently HIV positive. That is still a chronic situation, but compared to with where they started, where they had to train up two men for each job in the hope that one of them would survive, they've come a long way. Anglo-American spends 3.4% of its payroll on its HIV-AIDS program, a figure that will probably go up as HIV-positive employees survive longer. The only way to reverse the upward trend, however, is by stopping the new HIV infections. When Anglo-American first committed to offer the ARTs, it was a time when no other company in South Africa was doing so, and when the so-called business case had yet to be quantified. Nevertheless, Brink made the persuasive argument to top management that purchasing antiretroviral drugs isn't a cost that's going to kill the company. It's a cost that's going to protect the company. To their credit, they were convinced, as much by the moral case as the intuitively sound economic rationale. And today the evidence proves that Brink was right. At Anglo-American, the fully accounted for cost of treatment is $126 per HIV-positive employee. However, people on antiretrovirals are more able to work. Therefore, absenteeism declines 1.9 days per employee per month, which saves $96 a month. The use of healthcare services also declines, saving $87. And added to this, staff turnover and benefits payments are reduced, which saves a further $36 a month. At the individual level, therefore, the total savings of $219 per patient per month amount to approximately 174% of the cost of providing treatment. So in the end, giving out free antiretrovirals makes economic sense, but it required Anglo-American to take that leap of faith and to place responsiveness before short-term costs. The financial merits of the decision are retrospective, commitment to free antiretrovirals was proactive. The story is far from over, as this is literally a lifelong pledge by Anglo-American. What's more, the company is now dealing with the added burden and complexity of an escalating drug-resistant tuberculosis epidemic. At least it has the experience of tackling the AIDS crisis to draw on, but it just goes to show that responsiveness is not a once-off CSR tactic, it is a continuous and dynamic commitment to living the company's values.